0: Introducing Karen Nowicki. Karen is a business owner, a mom, and a trauma integration mentor. She recently experienced a suicide attempt by her husband. Today, we're going to talk about suicide and trauma. Karen, welcome. I actually asked my Facebook group tonight what they would like to know around suicide. And then just by asking that question, it just opens the floodgates. Have you found that as well? Yeah. A lot of people
2: confide in me given how vocal I was about what was happening in our family as it was happening. And so people will let me know that their life has been saved as a result of this story that I've shared, or they'll tell me a story about when they were struggling and how they got help, or that they shared my story in my journal with, you know, a cousin or a nephew or an employee, and now they know that they're getting help. Like those kinds of things people open up. Because like you and I, we give permission for people to share. And once we do that and we stop making it so taboo, people can heal and get whole. Even if they're not in a position to heal and mental health is at stake or whatever, at least they can feel normal in their uniqueness when we give people an opportunity to talk about it.
0: Have people said things that you
2: feel they shouldn't have said? About my own experience? Our experience? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. And some of the people who were the closest to Mike and I in our situation by blood, blood relatives. Mike and I've been married for 15 years and he is the love of my life. I've been married before, um, and for about the same period of time, I have two kids in their twenties and a young thirteen-year-old with Mike. We both opened our own businesses about the same time. I've owned several businesses; some have been successful, some have not. Was an educator well before that. Opening two businesses at the same time these last three years was uh, was heavy. A lot of heavy lifting, a lot of uncertainty around finances and you know long long hours i'm used to that because I've, I've done it enough times and even in my career working for other people i tend to show up as a business owner and mike hasn't had that experience so it was was tough i'm an open book which is part of why i agreed to do this with you and i know why you even felt like you could ask and my husband is not <laughs> and he's in the 15 years we've been together. You know, he gives me space to wear my heart on my sleeve and and talk through things very verbally and vocally on not only social media, but in our circle and that sort of thing, and even here at the studio in interviews. And so when I could see that he was struggling, I would ask, you know, how can I help? I knew it was oftentimes money related, but there was not a lot of disclosure as to what was going on. And he ended up attempting suicide in October of 2019. So just what, nine, nine months ago, completely caught us off guard. Uh, I have people in my life who have been depressed and been suicidal and I've been with them every step of the way, but Mike was not on my radar at all. And maybe it's because he felt like I was already there for enough people. I don't, I don't know. I can't, I, I have to stop asking why it happened the way it happened. And the question that I've asked, and I've even asked him is, why couldn't I be enough? <laughs> Which is a funny question to ask because we're very close. We, we do love each other dearly. We're actually going through a divorce right now. I don't know if, if you caught wind of that, but he survived his attempt. It was a gunshot through underneath his chin, through the top of his head, um, was in trauma intensive care unit for a month. I'll never forget walking into um, when they said I could finally see him, the doctor was explaining, and I'm getting confused because it was very traumatic and in trauma. Um, people don't remember things well, but I walk in and the surgeon's telling me like, you know, hey, here's what we're going to do. And again, I think they were just going to take him in for surgery. We're going we're to take this part of his scalp and we're going to put it here. And, and it just narrowly missed, you know, critical parts of his brain, blah, 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 And I remember thinking while he's talking to me within just, you know, 30 second conversation as they were getting ready to go. I was like, wait, 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 why? Are we doing this if he doesn't want to live? Like that shock. And again, this is my best friend, the love of my life, the father of our son. But if he didn't want to be here, why are we saving him? And it was such an interesting point because the surgeon looked at me and he's like, oh, like, let me back up. Uh, He is going to survive this. I think we think he's going to be okay. We think there's going to be a chance that he'll be really okay. And um, I'm like, wow, I had been preparing myself for the worst, either failing, flatlining succeeding or being severely, you know, brain damaged, he was a success. And so those four weeks in TQ were very touch and go at times because that's a lot going on, right? And uh, so being there for that and the next month in post-acute center, I made a decision very early on and it was a divine decision. Like I, I'm a very soulful person. It's very spiritual person. And I woke up one morning early on and I had it in my heart that I needed to share and disclose what was going on for me as it was happening. I mean, it was like so clear, like you are doing this. This is how you're going to get through it. No arguing. (laughs) I write quite a bit professionally and personally. Usually it takes me really a long time to write something. But for some reason, each of these journal entries were just again coming through me. But I also knew there was a risk in doing that. So when you ask if people are giving me a hard time for sharing, I went to a couple of family members, my own two adult kids, and then a couple of family members on Mike's side. And I said, listen, I'm being compelled and led to write and journal and share about this. And I know there's other family members like my dad and Mike's parents. I knew that they wouldn't understand. So I wasn't asking anybody permission except for these two sets of people also to hold me accountable that this wasn't going to become something that I would use as a platform like in a weird way or that I was telling a story that would put Mike in a bad light so I need people to buffer it and, and hold me accountable well my kids said yes and these other family members said yes and that they, they agreed to help me just make sure it was, you know, all on the up and up and from my heart around healing and wholeness and helping other people possibly, but helping Karen first and Mike and family second and then other people as well. Well, within a four or five journal entries, a couple of the family members were like, whoa, whoa, stop. Like, don't mention family names. Don't be so graphic and detailed. It hit hard. My kids were like, "Mom, this is who you are." So I made a decision to keep keep doing, it. and I and I honored some of their requests, like you know, please don't mention family members by name. Okay, it's cost me those relationships. I mean, my choice. Like, it got so heavy and so it, it became this extra thing that I had to focus on, like appeasing other people and and ha- and them telling me how I was supposed to work my way through grief and trauma and. And I just knew that I couldn't do it. And I, it got so bad, I finally had to say, back the fuck off. And that didn't land very well. And so I have just made a decision that I'm moving forward in my life without those people. And I love them dearly. They showed up for me in a huge way to help us close Mike's business, care for me and my son in the middle of you know those first couple of weeks. I will be forever grateful. For how they were there for us as as family and friends should be you know it's like a death they say that when people passed away family members or that close inner circle sometimes gets really weird and relationships implode and people end up hating each other in a way i've experienced that the, the next level of this is my relationship with mike is is changing and we're rewriting what that looks like i had this vision when he came home because one he was going to heal and do well, and survived, I had this vision that he'd come home, and he'd want to do things the way that I want to do them, and we're very, very different. We always have been different, but then there's been this respect and compassion. He's always been respectful and compassionate of me, and I've had to learn how to um, offer that through this new chapter in our life, and for us, it means living in separate households and and parenting our kiddo, you know, side by side, but not daily together, uh, because we just haven't
0: found a way to make this work beyond the tragedy. That's so hard. I know it's only been nine or 10 months. Does it feel like it was just yesterday? I mean, it seems pretty fresh.
2: Yeah, it's not as fresh as it was the first few times that I was talking about it on a show or, or again, journaling. I've lived a lifetime in in 10 months, you know, and then add COVID on top of that. (laughs) It's just weird. And I have to remind myself that People go through shit. People go through tough times. There are no guarantees in life. The the saying, there's people who have it a lot worse. They have, you know, who knows? It's just, this is my situation. Some days it feels like it happened yesterday. And some days it feels like, especially now that he's living uh, on his own and, and starting his life over, I now can wake up in the morning and there's this new sense of harmony and peace in my heart and in, and in my home. And I'm like, oh, okay, I, I can do this. And and when he comes to my mind, instead of that heartache, I mean, the tears still show up. I was on a show today listening to somebody talk about their their married life, sobbing in my computer. And when I feel like that, I have to remember all the wonderful time we've had together and the fact that, that he survived. And, and there's got to be a reason. I know my reason for being a casualty. And I know that it's between him and God and universe to figure out why he was spared or, you know, why he's still here. It's not for me to figure that. out. And I think that's what I was trying to do. I was like, well, this is how we're going to do it because this is why you're still here. Well, says who? (laughs) Like, you know, he's like, I will say to answer that question about, does it feel like it's still real? I have done my trauma work. Um, I've made it a life, my adult life to really work on personal development and personal growth from again, a very mind, body, spirit perspective. I I also teach a lot in in that area in addition to running the studio and a dear friend, Kelly Lorenzen reached out and said, I've got an incredible trauma guide that I think you ought to talk to Mike and our son Ivan, all three of us have seen her, and now I'm getting certified in the modality because it is life-changing, and so if I think back to finding him in his shop that day when we we received the text from him minutes before he shot himself, I, I didn't live far, so I was there within minutes, you know, coming upon a scene like that, anything that that moment in our life that's traumatic, whatever it is, that's a shock, that's trauma, or something as severe. I can now recall that story without re- having to relive it emotionally because I'm, I'm doing my healing work and it's huge. We all have traumas, right? It's relative. If it lands in your body <laughs> and it stays there and it gets stuck there and it impacts your ability to move forward even years from now, like when you're 45 years old and something triggers you and you, you're like, whoa, what the heck, you know, until you deal with that trauma, it lives there what we might think is a small little situation could be catastrophic and life-changing negatively for somebody as much as some of the more severe things that we would all say, oh, that's traumatic.
0: My dad's sister attempted twice. I know that this story is really going to hit home with him. Another thing that you mentioned, Like when someone dies and the family implodes, he's going through that as well. So he lost his father a couple of years ago. And the way that my grandparents left the money and what it should go towards is now being disputed with his three sisters, now suing his mother and my dad and me. And there's a lot of trauma. There's a lot to talk about, a lot to overcome I'm interested in knowing for people that know someone that's going through this, where did you find the best support? Like, are there organizations that you recommend?
2: I cannot speak from a place of somebody who's contemplating suicide,
0: but there are plenty of
2: supports. I mean, the hotlines, I know they're looking at and making the suicide hotline a three digit number like our our 911 and 411 at some point, which is really quite exciting. It's sad that it's necessary, but it is, especially during quarantine and COVID, when people, when life has changed on a dime for so many people, we are going to see even a greater rise in suicide attempts and mental illness because we're all being, you know, just yanked around in, in a variety of ways, given the, the situation we're in. To get help I have really been able to lean on my friends and family because I have an incredible wide network of friends and family and and professional people at that. Yes, there's help, there's support groups. You just even just start with a suicide hotline. If you know somebody who has attempted or is threatening attempting or depressed or showing signs of giving things away and becoming more and more reclusive, pulling back, those are good signs and indicators that, that they may be preparing to leave this earth. And if you are a friend or family member of that person or even a coworker, go find somebody professionally who can help guide you through how to support them. Then you're also gonna need to do your own work right? Once once a suicide attempt takes place um, and they're either successful or or they're here, uh, you're going to have to do your healing as well. I think this is really more of a plea that people take more seriously their own mental health before, like proactively, before you're Met with a situation like you described, your family's in. You know, before someone passes away and all hell breaks loose because the money, you know, doesn't look like where where you were told it was going to be. I'm I'm making that up. That's not necessarily your dad's situation. Mind, body, spirit. We are energy, (laughs) and I think that's what gave me the opportunity to handle this as well as I have because I've made it a lifetime and a practice to really know myself well and um, and take care of myself. Some people might say selfishly. Did you see any cues with your husband? Not until after the fact. I don't know if I had blinders on. I think partly I had blinders on because I was so immersed in what I was doing professionally, and and had asked if I could help. But you know, he'd look at me lovingly and say, "I'm good. Like you know, you don't need any help. Don't worry about me." And and he'll still say that today. Like the, to him, this is uh, this was a blip on a screen. And and professionally, people will tell us that mental illness doesn't always coincide with suicide attempt. Like it could really be that one critical moment that, that things just misfire and it seems like the only thing you can do and you act on it. And, and that's where Mike stands. I never would have thought that he would have attempted this, not in a million years. That's really scary. It is scary because so many of us are taught to be tough her, especially our men, like you know, can't show emotion, and I can't ask for help. And, and again, I'm talking about this very generically. That's all head stuff, right? If we're not taught, and we don't learn how to speak from our heart and have hard conversations with ourselves first, let alone the people in our inner circle and rely on gut instincts and involve our, our gut in everything that we're doing, our mind is a curious thing. And, and it's not always going to take us in the direction that we want to go. Have you thought about writing a book? Yes and no. <laughs> so many people very lovingly would reach out and say, oh my God, you write so beautifully. And, and this is such an important message. You need to write a book. And it's still too soon. I'm moving forward in my life, Mike's moving forward in his life, it's parallel, it's not in the same boat any longer, and out of respect for him, I don't know what that story, and I'll call it a story, that book, I don't know what that book would look like and sound like in integrity with myself if I didn't get to tell some of the the story of this last three months, but it's so private right? Because Mike is here and and my version of what's taken place is extremely different than his version. And I don't want to be disrespectful to where he's headed in his life going forward. So we'll see. (laughs) The short answer is, I don't know. We'll see.
0: Do you feel comfortable talking about how your version is different?
2: Yeah, I will. And I'll do it with a caveat, inviting listeners to stay out of judgment for what they might think this means about Mike. Oh, if she's saying this, then it must be this. Don't do that. <laughs> right? That's the mistake I've made for the last four four or five months. So my version, it's been messy. It's been complicated. It's been heartbreaking. My recollection of the things that we've gone through from the post-acute facility forward is very different than than what Mike's version is so we'll sit in front of a professional or we'll have a conversation and I'm all heart and all emotion and and like this is what we need to do because professionally I do these kinds of things with clients and Mike's looking at me with a blank stare like I wasn't there for that like that's not how I remember it and it used to really piss me off in the beginning but it's his journey like his journey is different from mine and he's as far as I know he's content and I want that for him
0: my husband is a complete introvert I wear my heart on my sleeve, so I really can relate to that. Do you find it's healing to talk about it? Yes, very much so,
2: until it becomes a storyline. And I'm very careful about that. I, I went through a divorce with my first husband years ago, and I remember, at, and again, I've always worn my heart on my sleeve. Like, everybody knows everything about me, if you know me.
0: I so worry about being judged. I wish I could stop that. You can.
2: <laughs> you, I promise you you can and hopefully it doesn't take a catastrophic event like mine to say enough already who gives a shit what anybody else thinks it is none of my business what anybody else thinks of me it's not going through my coaching program our our guide uh, Debbie Ford used to say to us listen 50% of the people are going to love you and 50% are going to either hate you or be eh, i don't you know be indifferent the bigger your sphere gets that percentage doesn't change right it's still 50% so Why would you spend all this time focusing on the people who are really not aligned with you or don't like you? Why would you not spend time with the 50% who really get you?
0: Do you feel like people are judging you for getting divorced now after he's experienced (laughs) this? I mean, I'm sure that's something that a lot of people want to ask.
2: Yeah, it's a great, it's a really an excellent question. And I was so nervous. So I I stopped journaling once once Mike got out of the post-acute facility. Part of it is because I invited you in. I invited you into my life, into our life through eight weeks of chaos and recovery. And people created a GoFundMe campaign that kept us in our home, helped pay for medical, you know, so I, I felt an allegiance from a loving place that I had to keep people informed because they love us. That's what it comes down to. They love us and I love them. And so I've given little, given little updates, but the divorce, so we're divorcing was a hard one because yes, I'm sure people are judging, but I can say that without having to own that. That's, that's theirs. It's not mine. If somebody wants to ask me about it or wants to pass judgment, that's fine. Like I'm, I feel so solid about this. And it was a very difficult decision. Like it is not what I wanted. (laughs) And here we are.
0: How is this affecting you as a mom?
2: In really great ways. I think one of my old, Two older kiddos have struggled with depression and and that sort of thing. And for our relationship, he's been amazing, like really amazing in this. And it's given him an opportunity to call that struggle something, where before wasn't comfortable admitting it, but now he sees the impact that it could have if he doesn't get a handle on it. And with my little guy that's still at home with me, I'm slowing down. I'm patient. We can thank COVID for some of that. I'm a pretty savvy parent anyway, having been an educator for years, but also again, making a real concerted effort to do those deep dives within myself to better understand me. I came home for a few minutes and my son had hidden a bowl of Crave cereal. And I walk in the kitchen and I see it. And I'm like, hey, what's that? And he's like, It's Crave cereal. I'm like, well, I can see that. Why is it in the corner? And he's like, mom, I don't know. I just felt like you were coming. I felt like I was going to get in trouble. So I hid it. I don't know why I do those kinds of things. And I said, well, I can tell you why, because I've created that for you. (laughs) I've been critical at times and said, you know, your dad and I have both been that way. So I hope that we can rebuild from here and have you not feel like you have to feel ashamed or feel like you're going to get in trouble for things. Yes, I'm going to redirect you when you've had too much sugar or it's right before dinner or whatever the situation is, but I don't ever want you to feel like you have to tiptoe around me. So I'm very mindful of the mistakes that I've made and being able to talk about it with him and then grow together.
0: That's amazing. Wow. That's a really beautiful thing that's come out of this. My kids have been my
2: teachers. I remember sitting on the hospital step and Madison was in New York. She is in Brooklyn and my son Grady is here. And they conference called me and said, mom, do you have a few minutes? I'm like, I'm going in the hospital right now to see Mike. What do you need? They're like, you need to stop and we need to talk to you. And it was one of these family situations that were imploding. And I kept feeding the bear (laughs) and then couldn't understand why no one would understand me, even though I was poking the bear. And so my kids were like, you need to stop doing that. Like, just stop. The way in which they coached me on the phone, I, I was like, wow, who are these people? Like, who did, did, did they call their dad, you know, um, my ex-husband beforehand? Or did they talk to a coveted friend who knows the coaching language? And so when we got done with the conversation. I'm like, so thank you guys. Like, really, I, I hear you. I'm stopping. I will not send another angry, bitchy email. I'm pulling out. I promise you. And if I forget, you can remind me, but I won't forget. And by the way, before we go, I love you. And I'm so grateful for this conversation. How did this come about? Like, who helped you? They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, who told you to call me? Nobody. They said it was just us. And we've all become casualties of this, right? This is This is not mine alone, which is, I think, why the extended family members were so pissed. Like, this affects all of us, not just Karen, selfishly.
0: Do you think your childhood came into play with how you raise your own children? Oh, for sure. (laughs) Well, it's also why I've chosen the partners that I've chosen.
2: Yeah, I went through postpartum depression when I had my first two kiddos. They're two years apart, two years, 10 days. And I dealt with severe postpartum depression with both kids. I remember rocking my son, the firstborn of the two, in the middle of the night and having these images of hurting him, which fortunately I never acted on, but scared the crap out of me. You know, here I'm nurturing and, and nursing and, and singing a lullaby. And then the next moment I got this horrific compelling feeling to hurt this very human being that I've created and that I love more than life itself. And it was whacked. I read all those pregnancy books. Would always skip the chapter on postpartum depression because I thought it was, oh, that's not me. I'm not that, well, bullshit. It has nothing to do with weakness. And um, I got to go through therapy. I was on medication for a period of time. I got to really, that was really the beginning of, of my decision in my, my late 20s to say, oh, wow. I can change the trajectory of my life and who I grew up thinking I was, and the the trauma and the situations and my parents' divorce and other things that took place in my life. And I can decide what that means about me. And it doesn't have to be the same meaning I've given it all my life. It happened. I can heal it. And I can decide from this point forward this is what I want to do with this. My own childhood shaped the way that I parent. And it was the catalyst for me saying that, that I, can, I can take full responsibility for my life and my well-being. No matter how self-aware we claim that we are or how woke we are, we're going to mess up our kids. <laughs> Again, that's a comment that, that my, my teacher and mentor, Debbie Ford, used to say to us, you know, we can, we can be the most enlightened among us and still do major damage to our kids. I think life is just designed that way. Uh, but being able to have those conversations with our kids and say, "Oh my God, I did the best I could with what I knew at the time, like I look back at my my mom struggled uh, with mental illness. My parents got divorced when i was was twelve, and it shattered me it shattered me, and I had to do a lot of healing around that. My dad and I are very close, always have been my mom and I were not for years. she's since passed away. Right before I met Mike, actually, I had to get to a place where I could love her again, like I did as a little girl, and just know that she really did the best she could with what she had. She was not an evil person. She was a very loving, loving, committed mother, loved us so deeply. And for whatever reason, it was difficult for all of us. And if I could assert this new learning that, again, going back to trauma, you cannot put ice cream on top of poop without taking a few scoops and eventually eating shit, right? Again, Debbie Ford, not mine. Love this woman. If there is trauma in your life and if it's stuck in your body, if that shock is still living in your body, you may or may not know it. You may or may not remember the event, but there are ways to do trauma integration work where you can release it so that you can move through it and not keep making these, I'll call them mistakes. The biggest mistake is is to keep making the same mistake. And so trauma work for me is the bowl that the ice cream can go in, but there's no layer of poop there. It's just the bowl to hold those experiences. And then you can tackle situations with your chronological age. I'm 55 years old. I'm pretty clear that Every time I handle a situation or a conversation that's tough and difficult, I'm handling it with Karen at 55. There's no nine-year-old that's trying to justify something. There's no six-year-old. There's no 29-year-old because I've already cleaned up all of the traumas that I'm aware of. There might be some that show up, but I arrive at every situation, at least today, with my chronological age and my emotional age right there. Tell me about your dreams now. They're no different than they were prior to the situation, only showing up with more intensity. So I opened the radio studio three years ago. And I think you and I... Met shortly after that, and you're like, What is this thing that you're doing? And <laughs> it was so fun to get to know you. But I did it because I wanted another wreath on my door, so to speak, or another opportunity to meet people, professionals who I, I might have an opportunity to coach and work with. The kind of coaching work that I do is mind, body, spirit. I mean, as much of a business coach as I am and a strategist. I'm, I'm never doing that unless we're working on the professionally individual and helping them get, um, you know, deeper in touch with their significance. Even those who are very successful, my goal with them is to take them from success to significance. And you got to clean your shit up along the way. Now, whatever that is for them, maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's money situation, maybe it's the way that they treat their stakeholders or, or something that happened in the past that, they, that, that haunts them. And then they're not able to get to that next level, whatever it is. So this trauma piece I didn't realize was missing until I had to go do my own trauma work. I've done versions of it and, and kind of it, but the language that this group has provided for me as I've gone through the coursework and now I'm in the practicum phase where I'm working with practice clients is an integration of about eight to 13 different similar types of work. This psychologist who has been doing it for years has invited a few people who are clients of his to do it. Now these women are doing it with their own clients. They're like, wow, this work is so instrumental and so satisfying for individuals because unlike therapy or counseling, again, you don't have to remember the event to go do the work. Sometimes it's a body memory and that can inform you. And then pretty soon through the guided meditation, You're like, oh, wait a minute, this this situation's showing up for me. So as a guide, we say, okay, well, let's explore that. Tell me that story of that specific event. And through that re-storytelling and releasing that body memory, we can heal and we can reintegrate that event, those events to
0: start to live our life the way that's intended in beauty and joy and peace. I love that. It sounds like an awakening. It is that. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you'd like to share? I don't think so. You had mentioned that you shared prior to our
2: conversation, you know, with your group, like, you know, what would you want to know about suicide? Is there any of the questions that we haven't addressed?
0: People did ask about like, what's your communication
2: now? Between Mike and I. Mm -hmm. I was going to say it's solid, but that would not be true. He's only been out of the house for a couple weeks And um, he and Ivan are rebuilding a really great relationship. And I'm learning how to love Mike right where he's at. He's always done that with me. He's always given me that gift. And now I have to learn to do that. So I think of him often during the day. And if I start to feel down and sad and want to reach out and check on him, I will usually send like a photo of Ivan or the dog or, or just say, thinking about you. He always responds, but it's not, at the depth (laughs) or the level that I would have liked it to have been. And, And that's okay. He's amazing. He's an amazing man and has amazing future ahead, whatever that holds for him. So yes, the communication is consistent and it's friendly and it's loving and compassionate, respectful, but it's not solid, which was the
0: first word that came to my mind. How can people connect with you? How can people support you?
2: Oh, I have endless streams of support. <laughs> I'm still just blown away with, with the compassion, the respect, the love, the giving, the prayers, the well intentions for Mike and I. I think the best way somebody can support me, I first going to say, well, I don't need anything, but I do. To continue to hold Mike and I in the best light, yeah, because we both deserve a great life, that we both continue to heal for whatever that looks like for each of us individually. The other thing you can do to take care of me is to take care of you. (laughs) When we take care of ourselves, we take care of others, right? Because if we don't take care of ourselves, we act out and we make poor choices or we treat people in ways that are just a mirror or reflection to our own pain. Be good to yourself. Be kind to yourself. Get the help you need. Get more sleep drink more water, eat better foods, go see your best friend, laugh, and if you feel like you would benefit from speaking to a professional, go explore that. It's Karen Nowicki, so it's K-A-R-E-N-N as in Nancy, O-W-I-C-K-I, Karen Nowicki, 2007 at gmail.com. I am on Facebook, on LinkedIn professionally, kind of on Instagram, um, but it's all Karen Nowicki or Karen E. Nowicki. Yeah, I'm happy to be there for folks. I'm not always good about answering the first time because I have so much on my plate with so many different things. So if it's important to you, I encourage you to stay in front of me and don't take it personally if you don't hear back from me, you know, the first, second, or third, or maybe even seventh time. I
0: just love you. Thank you so oh, much.
2: You.
0: This was my pleasure. Amazing, and you you seriously helped me in sharing your story.
2: The other question I have for you. Yeah. Um, I, I can't wait to hear what your dad has to say. And, and I'm a little like, "Ooh, I'm a little nervous. He's going to love you. I love your dad already.
0: I cannot wait for my dad's response. Here we go.
1: This is a young lady that has been overcoming things her whole life. And she got remarried where they just love each other. We're good friends. Everything seemed to be going well but was it really going well? He decided to open up his own business. She had opened up businesses. Some made it, some failed. She was feeling her way. She pivots easily. She overcomes her adversity. She's constantly working and building on her own self. She has a lot of self-confidence. Whatever happens, she is willing to accept whatever path comes her way and figure out ways of improving it. No matter what hand she's dealt, isn't that the way people are successful in life is that no matter whether they have the two of clubs and a three of clubs, or they have an ace of clubs and a king of clubs, if they're playing poker, she plays the hand that she can win with either hand. Her husband is having maybe financial difficulties with his job. He's keeping to himself. He's trying to overcome his own issues. And obviously got quite depressed to the point where he's even attempted suicide right underneath her nose. Her husband is failing and is troubled, and he really shuts her out and doesn't really get her completely involved with everything that he's going through.
0: Now they have gotten divorced as well.
1: Well, let's talk about that because she went on the edges a little bit. But really, she has learned that no relationships, necessarily a permanent. She has overcome from being a little girl of what other people might think she should do or how she should act. She figures out how she is most comfortable and how she's going to act. And she's always looking ahead of where she is in her life. And she does not want to let anything affect her or traumatize her or set her back. This fellow Mike He really has to find himself. You can't really have a fair relationship with anyone if you can't love yourself, as my mom would say, or if you can't be happy with yourself and what you're doing. So he needs a lot of work on himself before he can share or love someone else. And she understands that in order for her to keep her sanity, she has to be with somebody who is stable. She needs to be with somebody that knows their own self.
0: Suicide is a global pandemic. Every 40 seconds, someone takes their own life. There's a stigma to mental health. However, it's more common than you think. Mental disorders include clinical depression, manic depression, also called bipolar, schizophrenia, and obsessive-compulsive disorder. Many people suffer from more than one disorder at a given time women are nearly twice as likely to suffer from major depression than men. However, men and women are equally likely to develop bipolar. There is no cure to mental disorders, but there is help available. If you are suffering from depression or having suicidal thoughts, please go to Better Call Daddy for more info. I wanna tell you about UMAP, a program that shows people who they are and how they'll be most successful. Not only did it win the 2020 Career Innovators Award from Career Directors International, but 100% of UMAP certified coaches recommend the program. Let's hear from today's coach, Michael Goldberg.
1: Hi, this is Michael Goldberg, and I can't say enough about the UMAP certification course I'm currently taking with Kristen Sherry. I've really learned a lot about myself, but more importantly, I've learned how to coach others, and I know that I can be a successful coach when working with my clients, especially in the recruiting area, and also my clients that are looking to possibly change careers. I definitely recommend you go out to UMAP and how you can become a certified UMAP coach.
0: I fully endorse this tool and certification program, so check out myumap.com. That's M-Y-Y-O-U-M-A-P.com. Holistic, intuitive, and actionable. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and tune in. Add Better Call Daddy podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy show.